Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. We are on week two of our study of Daniel. And if you missed last week, I I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to our podcasts to be able to get caught up. If this is a new study for you, uh, if you've never been in the book of Daniel or haven't been for a while, last week we did a huge overview of the entire book of Daniel, what's going on with it, um, and understanding how to get into study. It's important as we study the Bible to understand that the Bible is a collection of a genres inside, inside of multiple styles of writers and books. And we discussed genres last week. And the two things I want to bring to you today to get you caught up if you missed is that the book of Daniel in the Old Testament has two major styles of genre that is inside of it. First is a narrative. And so you've got this storytelling narrative. It's an explanation of what's going on during the time to explain a story. It's a narrative. But inside the book of Daniel, you also have an apocalyptic book, which means it is a apocalypse or a prophetic book in which you're going to see things which are going to come in the future. It is a, a prophet type book, a prophecy. And so you're going to see Daniel actually have dreams, interpret dreams, and you're going to put this whole book together. And if you just read it, you're like, what in the world is going on here? Because it seems like it's very eclectic and jumping around. But actually, we learned that the entire book of Daniel is very, very powerful in its entirety. And as we engage it, we're going to see some amazing things as we move from narrative. And today's book, uh, today's chapter, chapter two, is narrative and at the same time, apocalyptic. We're going to see some prophecy in a dream, as well as the narrative or the story that David is unfolding for us. But let's go back. I love doing this, like, if, if you are a binger of Netflix or anything like that, uh, I binge everything Star Wars, so, you know, in last week's installment, right? So we're going to go back a little bit to get you caught up in case you missed it. Last week, we engaged chapter one. Inside of chapter one, we see the Hebrews and Jerusalem is overtaken by Babylon. Uh, the Babylonian king uh, sieges it, and then he takes all these, uh, the plunders the area, and he takes all these young men with them and says, I want the best of the best of the best. In fact, I want the royalty of the Hebrews because I want them to be on my court and to work for me. And so all of these young men are brought together. And these young men are, uh, we see the names of Daniel in there, but we see the name Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. If you've heard, did Bible, uh, any sort of Sunday school Bible study when you were a little kid, we joked last week, if you're old school 80s like I am, there's a flannel gram where there'd be like flannel, we put, you know, we put Daniel and his little friends in there. And if you had the flannel gram Sunday school experience, you may know them as the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we see these four young Hebrew men who are brought from captivity and they are brought uh, before the king. And here's an issue that starts to come right away, is that the king says, you are going to be in the royal palace, you're going to eat what we eat. But Daniel says, hold on guys, will you grant us space because we have a different set of rules. The way that God has for us is we are not to eat these things that which you are eating. So he asks, can we just live on water and vegetables as opposed to the wine and all these choice foods that 
would be in the courts. And so the question mark came, why, you know, are they vegetarians, right? So every vegan or vegetarian right now is like, see, I told you so. Uh, that is not the purpose, uh, especially for me as a hunter. I'm like, that's really not the purpose. But <laughs> the purpose of this is this. The food that was there most likely, as we can assume, is desecrated because it had already been uh, sacrificed to their gods and to their idols. And it was strictly forbidden to eat foods and have no gods before God and have anything that has to do with idol or idol worship. And so if these, these foods that were there were first sacrificed to, an ant, to God, they take the animal and they now say, now we can eat of it. The Hebrews would say, we can't do that. We can't be a part of that situation. Secondly, we went into Eastern culture and talked about in Eastern culture to sit down and have meal was to have an agreement or for us to say we are in one accord. Uh, for us, uh, we eat a little differently. We eat socially, and we invite lots of people to our place of eating. And as we eat together, we can, I mean, imagine this. We can have a meal with a Republican and a Democrat at the same time, and we don't have to agree on something or politically or whatever our stance are. But to sit down with these, these people who are worshiping these other gods, they felt would be disrespectful to Yahweh or the God of the Hebrews or our God. And so they say, we are not going to eat those things. We will eat these things, but check us and see if we are not stronger after some time. And so they do that. They eat. They come back. They're stronger. They're healthier. And our big topic of yet last week was do not compromise. In a world that is very hostile, because they're in a hostile environment as being prisoners, and now meant to work for their slaves, right? Because they don't want to be there. And they were in a hostile environment, but they didn't compromise what God has called them to be. Not compromising. We said in a hostile world in which it feels like everything in every direction is turning against what the word of God calls us, do we stand firm and will we say, you will not compromise even if your life is on the line? Will you stand firm to a biblical worldview uh, world or the truth of scripture? And so that's where our process do not compromise. So now we move into chapter two. Chapter two is going to shift us in a completely different uh, direction. And now in chapter two, we're going to engage a story where the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the one that is the king of Babylon, has a dream. Inside of this dream, he is troubled, greatly troubled by this dream. He can't figure out what's going on. And he's going to try to find people who can interpret it for him and say, you need to tell me what this dream is all about. And at that time, we'll enter our friend Daniel. But at this time, uh, I want to encourage you. We're gonna, I'm going to invite Heidi up in a second. Um, I'm encouraging during this chapter, uh, this uh, series, for you to read the Bible. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have paper Bibles, you can bring them. During this time, we'll turn the lights up for you. Uh, if you have apps, uh, I encourage also YouVersion is an app that I use personally on my phone and iPad. Uh, that has devotionals, it has different versions of the Bible. We're going to be reading through the NIV version today. Uh, that's what we typically teach out of because most people have it uh, available to them. Uh, but there's lots of wonderful, wonderful versions. But read the Bible for yourself. We're not going to have it on the screen because it's going to take us about eight minutes to get through chapter two. So uh, read along in your Bibles, on your Bible apps. Guys in the back, if we could hit the lights for people to read. And Heidi, would you come up and share with us Daniel chapter two?
Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants to dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. Then the king, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Then Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friend Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the God, uh, name of, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and rises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things, and He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with Him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what the dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. 
but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has known King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the reveal of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I am greater, I have greater wisdom than any other one than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became the shaft on a thrashing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it for the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom." Yet I will have, it will have some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up kingdoms that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many great gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court.
pause. There we go. We on now? All right. We're jumping into this passage. And if we're in a Netflix version, you guys can turn the lights back down in the back if you like. We're in a Netflix version here. This thing got literally like eight episodes. There's a lot going on in this chapter. So we're going to dig into what exactly is happening. First of all, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and his dream is just really bugging him. He's not able to sleep. He's obsessing over this dream. We don't know if he has the same dream over and over again, but this dream is grinding him. There's something about it. There's some disrest. There's something wrong inside of him to say, what is this dream all about? So he brings all of his wise men to him. People who have all these skills and abilities and all these magicians and astrologers, the ones who speak to the gods. That's very important to understand that the roles of these men is that they can speak to the gods for the king. And so they have the most prominent position in the courts for the, him to say, okay, you got to tell me what's going on. But here's the thing, and we don't know this backstory, but let's put in a little story to it. I have a feeling that he's been duped before. I have a feeling, I don't, this isn't biblical, right? But there's something inside of Nebuchadnezzar that says, um, you are just going to tell me what I want to hear. And, and if I tell you what it is, oh, I saw this statue and it's got a head of gold. And they'll be like, oh, great king, you are the greatest of all and you're going to reign forever and never die. They, they're they're going to make stuff up to just tell him what he wants to hear. But something inside of him is grinding. And so he says this, you need to tell me what it means and I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. Boy, that's a hard one, right? You wake up in the morning, you've got this dream, you look at your spouse and say, um, hey, I had a dream last night, tell me what it was and then interpret it for me. Um, uh, Nick and I do marital counseling. So <laughs> we have this, this situation happening where he says, you need to tell me this. Now, you speak to the gods, you can figure this out for me. Tell me, and if you don't, I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. And one of the practices back in Babylonian times, this is actually very normal, uh, this is part of one of their punishments that they would actually do. And one of the things, and we're going to get a little PG-13 for you for a second, during this historical Babylonian times, is that they would bring in four trees next to each other and have them bent down, and they would tie down these four trees. And then they would tie the person to these four trees on all four limbs, and then they would cut the ropes and those four trees would go back to their standing position and they would be dismembered and torn apart in four different ways to show the power of the king and his reign over everything. So these kings would reign by absolute fear and terror. So for him, like, oh, I'm going to chop you up in a million pieces. This is kind of like, you know what, we're just going to chop you up. That's what we do. Uh, but we're going to burn down your family too. In fact, we'll burn down your house. I'm going to wipe you from the face of the earth. Oh, ones who speak to gods, unless you guys are fake. And so they start now in this, uh, this relationship with him, in which says this, um, there's no way we can figure this out. There's absolutely no way we can figure this out. In fact, there's no way anyone can figure this out. How are we supposed to tell you what you dreamt? Now, part of me just giggles a little bit, like these magicians and astrologers like, hey, he figured it out. We're totally making this stuff up, right? We don't really know what we're doing. We're just making up these stories and we're just trying to appease the king. But listen to this again in verse 5 because it's very important to see where King Nebuchadnezzar's mind is. We're going to learn about the narrative of his mind. Verse 5, it says this. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. 
If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses burned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and you explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. We can see and create the character of Nebuchadnezzar. It's almost like he's over here, but I'll give you a lot of stuff, now do it. This is a strong, wicked king. He is not a huggable king. This is not a king who is really thinking, I want everybody to like me. He wants what he wants at this time. Now, going back to chapter 1, if you missed that, one of the reasons that Nebuchadnezzar changed the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, into that and changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar is they wanted to wipe out the fact that their names had things to do with God or Yahweh and that Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm God. We're going to find out about that next week in chapter 3. He believes that he is the greatest deity. I'm the most important thing in the world. And if you don't do what I want, if you can speak to the gods of, that are not here but out in heavens, then your job is to tell me because I'm a god, I'm important too. In fact, I'm the most important thing alive. Babylon is a superpower. They, they are the superpower of the time. They are going through and blowing everything up. God has given them the ability to do that. In fact, God uses Babylon to be able to punish the Hebrews for how they were living. And so their capture was not by surprise. God allowed it to happen. God uses all sorts of things in our lives to get our attention. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Maybe you, you do something or you go through something and you know, God's trying to teach you something and you don't listen. And someone really wise said to me once, I suggest you listen to God when he's speaking to you for the first time. If not, he's going to repeat his message. When you read the Old Testament, you're going to see Israel over and over again keeps walking away from God. And then we see God using other people to come and punish them or to say, okay, if you're not going to be with me, go be with the Babylonians then. And then the people of Israel repent and then they come back. So here's a situation where Babylon is given the right, God allows them to take them over. They now are in Babylonian care and this king says, I'm greater than everybody. I am a God, small g. So that puts us into this story. We're getting into his mind and these astrologers and these sorcerers are coming. There's nothing that can be done. So the response to verse 10 is fascinating from these wise men of Babylon. Verse 10, the astrologers answer the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. These guys are pretty smart, and if you know anything about Uh, psychology and how people, and diversion and deflection. This is the ultimate deflection. He's like, oh, great king. Um, No one has ever asked this crazy thing before. And here's the truth. Um, Nobody can know except the gods. So your request is irrational. There's no way anybody can answer this. So instead of saying, we can't do it, they're saying, no one has ever asked it before and only gods can do it. So they deflected off of themselves into the impossibility of the question because they're all charlatans. They're making stuff up. So you start to bring these men together, though they may be wise in how they speak. The fact is, is that everything that they're claiming in magic and how they can control nature and all this, it's all fake. So 
These men are now here. They deflect the question, say, great king, it's impossible. Maybe you, you just haven't slept for a few days. Obviously, you're ornery. Is this guy hangry? Can we get him a Snickers or something? Get him a Snickers. He hasn't eaten for a while. You're just grumpy. Go take a nap, and you're going to feel a lot better, king. And this infuriates him. The infuriation theologians go in multiple directions, but one of the main directions is it's proving the fact that all of this is fake. Many theologians believe the fact and why act, he acts out with such a huge thing, kill them all, is because, you know what, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Of, he's a, the son of the former king of my father's magicians and wise men. I'm starting all over from scratch. These guys are all phonies. I need a new batch of people who can talk to the gods for me. So I'm going to wipe them all out. He is so mad that he says, anybody, I don't care if these guys were in the court or not, kill them all, and here comes our friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. So these guys get thrown into the story. They weren't even there. Thrown into the story, Daniel now, they come to kill him, and he says, wait, 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 wait. Would you grant me time? Would you grant me time so that I can interpret the dream? And as I was processing this, Daniel has two options. They're going to smoke us either way, guys. Like, we're done. We're done either way. Our only hope is to ask Yahweh for some sort of answer. Now, we don't know if Daniel has done this before. We don't know if this is his first time. This is the first time in Scripture we see Daniel engaging this interpretation or saying, I can interpret dreams. But him and his friends are smoked either way. They came to take him out. He says, can you give me time? And he says, he goes to the king, okay, I'll give you time. Interesting enough, the king did not give his court time, but he gave Daniel time. So Daniel and his, four boy, and his three friends, they do something that most of us don't do in crisis, is he actually goes to God in prayer. In my crisis, I go to let's freak out and try to strategize our way out of this. Maybe you can relate to this. There's a crisis. Ah, what are we going to do? I sit there like, oh God, where are you? How come you can leave us? You're going to get us killed, right? Their life is on the line. And they would freak out. And then I would then whiteboard and sticky note my strategies of how we can try to figure this thing out. And I would process all this. And I would try, I personally would try to work my way out of the problem. Daniel and his friends go to their knees and pray. Friends, if you want to know what to do when all of life is about to crumble around you and you don't know where to go when everything is absolutely terrible and you are about to die, your only hope in the world always has been and always will be. This is a really old book telling you today, first of all, pray. Get to your knees, get scabs on your knees, start praying, start asking, and watch what the God of the universe can do bigger than you can ever imagine. So that part of the story of Daniel, we kind of eclipse over oftentimes if you've heard stories, but I think this is one of the most powerful characters, uh, characteristics of these young men because as we move through Daniel, you're going to see God save them over and over and over again. When they, they're going to try to get, they're going to try to smoke these guys multiple times. I don't get it because like they're super great, then he tries to kill them again. It goes back and forth. I don't know what's wrong with this king. He might need a counseling session or a hug but he is back and forth, back and forth. And so Daniel's friends, they go to prayer. They go to prayer. And then the prayer, when there's there, Daniel is revealed the dream and the answer. Now, we don't know if it's during his dreams. We don't know if he saw a vision. We don't know what happened in that story, but the answer is given to Daniel. 
And Daniel's response was, this is so awesome. We are the wisest men of all. No, he doesn't say that. He says this, verse, uh, we're in verse 20. He goes to worship. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. I love this. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you've given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. That is a powerful, worshipful prayer. And so if you want to know what do you say to God when God answers prayers for you? Because oftentimes when we pray and we ask and he answers the thing, don't we tend to just kind of move along and say, oh God, thanks so much for that happening? Like we just move on with life. In fact, I think this is my interpretation. If you are a prayer warrior greater than me, I give you all the props. This is my issue then. We tend to pray and ask and God gives it to us, but because I am so selfish and always looking for the next thing, I don't even pause to say thank you because I have another request and another request and another request. God, hear me. God, hear me. God, do this. God, do that. And sometimes even when I see the answer, I'm like, oh God, thank you so much because I am so, my, my focus is shifting all the time. I don't take the time to even pause and dwell on the fact that the God of the universe listened and heard me. The God of the universe who created all things, who has kings rise and fall, seasons come, seasons go. The king of all kings, the mighty God Almighty heard us. And Daniel puts a perspective of prayer of like, you are the one who does everything and you listen to me. It says, you have made known to me what I asked of you. Great God, you told us the dream of the king. So if you would like a simple pattern for giving glory and worship to God when he answers, take this little piece of Daniel's response in 20 all the way through 23 and change things into your situation. Simple enough. Say, God, I want to pray back to you. God, I praise you forever and ever. You are wise. You do great things. You can say all these things. God, I praise and thank you. You have given me wisdom and power. God, I thank you for hearing me. Thank you for healing my mom. It's because of your great power, not mine. You are the God Almighty. You are the great one. Hear me, God. I worship you today because you've answered me. If you're new to prayer, simple prayer of thanksgiving and recognizing and turning our focus off of ourselves back to the one who is the generous, radically generous God who doesn't have to listen. He wants to and he does, which is unbelievable. So we see the character of Daniel come through. Life is on the line. Daniel's about to get smoked. This dude's always about to get smoked. Two chapters, almost smoked two times, right? First, he doesn't eat the food, could have gotten smoked. Second time, I'm just sitting at home watching TV, and they come in and knock out, you're a wise man, we're going to kill you. All these things keep happening two times. God has responded again. Impossible feats. God comes through. Impossible situations is pretty much the book of Daniel. God comes through through. How it encourages us today is no matter what your monster issue is right now, the God of the universe is here to listen. God is here. And what we're going to look and explore and really embrace is that God is sovereign and in control of everything, even when it looks like absolute, utter chaos. 
And that's where faith really comes in, friends. If you're new to the faith journey or you're exploring this, or maybe you have like a really, we'll call it religious background where you're trying to do some things to make God not smite you every week, right? So you're doing things to try to make God happy or appease him. Or if you come from, I don't really know much about this God story, I want you to hear this. No matter what the chaos is in the world, whatever's happening in Russia, whatever's happening in North Korea, whatever is happening with our 7.5% inflation rate, whatever is happening with the housing market, whatever is happening with your 401k, whatever is happening in your kid's life, whatever is happening, I can make the list go on and on. The God of the universe is sovereign over all things. Nothing happens without the hand of God. But you can say, God, I don't like it. You can. That's what we see in the Psalms. And, our, and the writer uh, David writes often, of like, I don't like this. But he always goes back to the way Daniel. But you are God and you are sovereign over all things. So the posture of Daniel is on his knees thanking God. And so he goes back to the king. Now, this is what you're all waiting for. What is up with this statue, right? What's going on with this thing? I have a picture here of the statue to throw up on the screen to give you a visual here of what it would quasi look like. Large statue. The head of gold, we explain, is Babylon, which is 605 BC and eventually falls in 539 BC. Uh, what you see next are these arms of silver, now, what's really cool about this prophecy is that this has already come to pass. This is something that has already come. Theologians disagree on some nuances if you Google it about certain groups, but for the most part, it's pretty clear. There's the Medo-Persian uh, Medo Empire from 539 to 331 BC. The belly and thighs of brass were Greece, and we know that they had a great rule from 331 BC to 168 BC. The legs of iron, which now puts us into Jesus' timeline or into the New Testament timeline where Rome ruled and was a superpower, 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. The feet of iron and clay is the second role, uh, rule of Rome or the papal or when we, we see the popes enter into that, into that world. Think more of like the medieval times style of thinking of Europe. Uh, modern nations of Europe started that into a movement of 476 A.D., into what will be the final, which will now be when Christ returns, or the second coming of Christ. And so this whole, the whole feat on iron and clay, it's kind of strong, but it's not. There's lots of different groups of leaders who are going to come and go, and that includes the United States of America. And so those of you who are Christian nationalists, this is going to shake you a little bit, but hopefully encourages you. Jesus Christ wins over everything. Jesus Christ wins. Because out of this now, this mountain, this rock comes in this picture, not cut of human hands. So this statue is formed by human hands. These are human kings. These are human nations and they're human superpowers who all believe they're the greatest thing in the world and that they're going to last forever. But Jesus Christ now comes into the picture, the rock. Jesus is referred to the rock multiple times in scripture. So out of this, a rock cut from a mountain, not of human hands, comes and hits the statue, this rock comes in, and it shatters. And it turns into, they say, chaff on the floor. But let's put into analogy, maybe we could even be more, like sand and dust, in which the winds came in these great, monstrous, godlike nations and superpowers are nobody. They are gone because the rock has come. And then this rock 
becomes this mountain that's growing that fills the whole earth, and it represents the second coming of Christ and his eternal reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we see Jesus Christ in Daniel chapter 2. The gospel is in Daniel chapter 2. And they have no idea what they're talking about because it hadn't happened yet. But we get to sit in 2022 and say, look at this beautiful story. All of these nations think that they're the greatest thing in the world. They all believe that right now is the most important time of history. And so did King Nebuchadnezzar. He believed that his reign, his time, is the most important thing in the history of all of humanity. And then guess what? He's done and someone else is going to take over it. And then guess what? They're done. Someone else is going to take over it. And then they're done and someone else. They keep moving down the line. But at the end of when Christ comes, it's all over and it shows what our kingdoms are. They're dust. They're dust. All of our fighting and all of our trying to be superpowers and all of the drama and all of the wars and all of this that we're fighting, fighting, fighting. Friends, this is the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God reigns forever. And so where do we put all of our attention? As, as people, we tend to put our attention on what's happening now in our country, in the world, wars, rumors of wars. Fear is now back in the media again. What's going to happen? This has been going on forever because we are humans and we believe that our Reign is the most important thing, and we are, if we're honest about this, we are all trying to be gods ourselves like Nebuchadnezzar. But Jesus is the rock that comes and he blows it all up. And the only kingdom that lasts forever is the kingdom of God. So then Jesus comes to earth, which is really cool if you caught the words of the magicians when he said, the gods are up there. The gods don't live among us. But Jesus Christ is about to come as the rock, and God came to live among us. And when Jesus came, he says, I am bringing in the kingdom of God. I'm going to show you what it's like for this kingdom to now reign. And if I read my Bible, and I read the news, I choose the Bible. I choose the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, he is a great king who loves and cares for all of us. But in the midst of all the chaos of our world, we say, do not be afraid. Our king is still king. Why he is so patient is that's the characteristic of God, why he doesn't just blow us all up and smite, smite, smite. He is allowing this to play out because that is who God chooses to be. If I am God, I'm smiting you. So it's really good that I'm not. He is God Almighty and he's a patient, good, loving king. He says, but at the end, don't be fooled. I am coming and the rest of the world will be nothing but vapor beneath me because my kingdom, like a mountain, will be, you can't even get around it. I fill the whole earth. So this story, as it comes out, the king is sitting there like, wow, I didn't, okay, right? <laughs> if, I, if you heard this whole story, um, Daniel properly tells him what he dreamt about. He properly interprets the whole thing to the fullest degree. But he says, King, hear me. It's not because I'm smart. It's because God Almighty is. And the Lord God Almighty gave me this to me for you, King, to hear. Now, this would be my fear if I was Daniel. Boy, I'm going to tell the king that he's about to get blown up. I'm going to get whacked again. Like, here's another opportunity of, oh, great king. 
You are not going to be king and your kingdom's going to go away. In fact, none of your kingdoms matter because Jesus is coming. He's a little unstable, Nebuchadnezzar. So at that point, there could be a response of, what did you say? What'd you say? You talking to me? And he would smite him, right? But instead he says this. He hears it and he falls down and says, bring an offering, not to Daniel, but to his God. Bring an offering to his God because he's the real God. Worship this God who told this to us. And he lifts Daniel up. He's like, hey, what about my homies? Sure, bring them along too. I like them too. Bring everyone along. He lifts them up into this position of prestige and of power because he did something that no one else. The king knew it was impossible, but nothing's impossible with God. So where do we take a story of a statue and a king and all of this? It it goes right here, guys. What an amazing story for our year after we've lived through three to four years of absolute turmoil. What an amazing story as our beloved Generation Z has grown up never getting on an airplane without being checked and gone through scanners. What an amazing time for many of us who've lived through 9-11, some of us have lived through Vietnam War. What a scary time for the next generation of young men who are asking the question, am I going to be drafted? What an amazing time when it seems like our economy is all over the place and it seems unstable. What an amazing time when it feels like our country is three tweets away from civil war. What an amazing time when there are huge, monstrous, superpower countries pointing weapons and bombs and missiles at each other. What an amazing time when it feels, I don't know about you in my lifetime, I don't think there's ever been more instability and chaos in the world like it feels right now. What an amazing time when racial tensions feel like they're so high among beautiful image bearers of God. What an amazing time to hear a story that in the middle of the chaos, the Lord God Almighty reigns, that he is sovereign over all of it, and we get to go to him and talk to him and say, God, would you hear us? What do we do? What an amazing story when it feels like we're losing, and I needed this in my season of life. I feel like I'm losing all the time, but we are not losing. In fact, we are winning. Because the war is not won by man's hand, nor tanks, nor bombs, nor anything. It's not won by a superpower. It's not won by politics. It's not won by winning elections. It is won by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And at that time, when he comes and his rock is established, and the things of man fade away, and the kingdom of God reigns forever, those who know Christ it says clearly in Scripture, are with him forever, and those who are not are separated forever. That's where our terminology of heaven and hell come from. We get to be in the kingdom and reign of God forever, or you are outside in a place that is for those who say, I don't want Jesus Christ as my King and Savior. Friend, no greater time have I ever felt that a story like this speaks to our heart to say, dear friend, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The Lord God Almighty, he sees all things. And all of these years ago, a dream was given to an unstable king to be interpreted by a young Jewish male who we don't know if he even interpreted a dream ever before in his life to go in, puts his life on the line to tell us a story that now in 2022 says, hey guys, the rock is coming. The rock is coming. The statues are going to be blown down. But who are you worshiping? 
Are you putting your hope in man or the kingdom of God? Are you putting your energy, time, resources into trying to save what's here on earth? Or are you so dialed into the kingdom of God that all of this is, I'm part of this, but my life is dedicated to the kingdom of God? For me, I choose the kingdom. But that I, I really got a big issue because then I'll jump over here and get super worried about this. So this message, if you're like, Jason, I'm not connecting, it was just for me today then. Because I need to be reminded that the rock is coming. I need to be reminded, do not be afraid. And I need to be reminded, the Lord God Almighty reigns. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.